Well, greetings from the saints at Wellspring Bible Fellowship in Groton. John Clifford heard I was coming today, and he said, I'm going down to Wellspring for Sunday. So there you have it. Let's turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, we'll we'll begin in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for these words and thank you for recording this amazing sermon for us to read and study. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us wisdom and understanding as we look at the Beatitudes as a whole to understand what it means to be blessed in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at Wellspring, we are currently studying our way through the book of Matthew We're going to be in Matthew for a long time. We have just finished this section that I just read. It's commonly referred to as the Beatitudes. We just finished studying our way through the Beatitudes, and we it took us more than two months just to do these 12 verses. This whole, this is the introduction. The Beatitudes are the introduction, as you know, to the Sermon on the Mount, and it's actually just a very small portion of the Sermon on the Mount. But in the Beatitudes, there is so much deep theology packed in there. The Beatitudes are like strong concentrate. When I was a kid, my mother introduced me to peppermint tea. She made a regular cup of tea, and then she took this little bottle, oil of peppermint, and she put one drop, just one drop, into that cup of tea. But when I brought the cup up to my lips, my eyes started to water. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. It's so strong. Of course, being a little boy that I was, I said, wow, if you can do that with one drop, what will a teaspoon do? (laughs) I do not recommend that. (laughs) The Beatitudes are like oil of peppermint. They are strongly concentrated. That's the reason that we took two months to go through them. We would do a sermon each week on one verse, and each one of us who were Going through this section, we all agreed we could have done two sermons on that. There's so much in them. And so that is the reason why we're not going to try and actually do the Beatitudes, so to speak. We're going to start by looking at them, but we're going to jump off to try and understand some of the concepts as a whole by looking at other passages of Scripture. If we tried to do all of the Beatitudes, it would just be overwhelming. It would be too much. So why are they called the Beatitudes? The word Beatitude means 
blessing or supreme blessedness. It's actually from a Latin word. The Latin word is beatus, and it simply means blessed. It means happy or fortunate, something that brings happiness. The name Beatrice, if you've ever known it, it's kind of an old-fashioned name now, but that name Beatrice, that's what it means. And it comes from the Latin word beatus. That's where we get the word beatitude. But we are not reading from a Latin translation. We are reading an English translation from Greek. And the Greek word that is translated blessed is makarios. And that's the Greek word meaning happy or blessed. So you'll see that the word blessed or blessed in Latin and in Greek and in English can have two different meanings. It can mean happy or it can mean blessed. But the problem here is that those two words have very different uh, connotations. There is a big difference between being happy and being blessed. Happiness is a fleeting, transitory emotional state, and it doesn't last very long, as I'm sure you all know. But the concept of being blessed suggests that a person has God's love and favor. It has nothing to do with emotion. It has everything to do with our standing before God. Now, some translations actually use the word happy instead of blessed. Most of them use blessed. I would suggest if your translation says, happy are you when men revile and persecute you, you might want to consider getting a different translation. Because that's not what Jesus is talking about here. This is not a recipe for happiness. I mean, read what he's saying when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil about you. That's not a very good way to be happy. But Jesus said, this is the process of being blessed. What Jesus is teaching us in the Beatitudes is what it means to become more like Jesus Christ. So that's the meaning of the word beatitude, Latin, Greek, and English. It can mean uh, happy or blessed. But Jesus was not speaking Greek. He was not speaking Latin or English. He would have been speaking either Hebrew or Aramaic. The Hebrew word translated blessed or blessed in the Old Testament is barak. Here's the definition of the Hebrew word barak. To bless to kneel, <clears throat> to praise, to bless, to kneel, or to praise. So you'll notice that the Hebrew word does not carry any connotation at all of happiness. It's just not in there at all. Jesus does not have the concept of happiness in mind when he is talking about the concepts here in the Beatitudes of being blessed. The Hebrew word actually has to do with kneeling before a sovereign, kneeling before a king. The Hebrew word suggests that the king reaches out his hands and lays them on your head while you are kneeling before him and pronounces a blessing upon you. My background is Arthurian literature. If you know King Arthur, you'll picture the knight kneeling before the king and the king dubbing him a knight with the sword. It's the same kind of thing. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's the concept here in this Hebrew word barak, meaning to bless. This word was first used in Genesis chapter 1. It's kind of cool that the very first blessing spoken in brand new creation was spoken by God. 
And God said, it says in verse 22 of Genesis 1, God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. God pronounced a blessing upon his creation at the point when he created sentient life. This was even before he created man. He's created the plants and and, uh, the planet and so forth. But when sentient life comes forth, animals and birds, he pronounces a blessing. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. It's an interesting word study, by the way. If you have um, Bible software like I use eSword, there's lots of them. You can do a search on the Greek word to see where it's used in the Old Testament. And the uh, book of Genesis is shock full of blessings. It's really kind of a cool study. I had a hard time picking out one to look at. But this is the one we're going to look at. Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse 22. And he, that is Jacob, arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, he took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. We're all familiar with this passage. It's kind of an interesting one. Jacob actually wrestling with God himself. This is a uh, pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus before he had become uh, taken on human flesh in permanent form. It's an interesting passage partly because I've always wrestled with what was going on here. Why is God wrestling with Jacob? It started to dawn on me as I was looking at this most recently that it isn't that God was rest, trying to wrestle against Jacob. It's Jacob who's trying to wrestle against God. It appears that Jacob had the idea that God did not want to bless him and that he thought he had to wrestle it out of God in some way. And so when it says in verse 25, he saw that he did not prevail against him. Does that mean God's losing a wrestling match to a man? No. What it means is God is trying to wrestle into Jacob some sense. He's trying to get Jacob to understand we don't need to be doing this. God saw that he was not getting through to Jacob, so he touched his thigh to put him out of commission. God wants Jacob to understand that God is trying to give him what Jacob is trying to steal from him. The problem isn't with God here. The problem is with Jacob's misunderstanding of God. He does not understand God's nature. 
And then the question is, what was the blessing? It says in the verse 29 that he blessed him there. What was the blessing that God conferred upon Jacob? He changed his name. That also is a kind of a, a strange thing here. Jacob was wrestling God in order to gain material blessings. You know the life of Jacob. He was really concerned <clears throat> with material wealth and security and so forth. That's what he's trying to gain here. <clears throat> and God did give him that. But God was trying to give him something much, much more than that. God was trying to give him fellowship with God. God wanted to make Jacob into the chosen race, into a great nation. But in order for that to happen, Jacob's name first had to be changed. God had to change Jacob before Jacob was in a condition to receive God's blessing. And so God says to him, you shall no longer be called usurper. That's what the name Jacob means, usurper. You shall no longer be called a usurper. You shall now be called God prevails. That's what the name Israel means. You shall now be called God prevails. Jacob's nature was to try and take whatever he wanted by force or by guile. And in fact, this passage that we're looking at here, he's getting ready to meet up with his brother Esau, and he's really afraid because he's sure that Esau is going to try and kill him because of what Jacob has done to Esau. And that's what he's trying to do here with God as well. But God always prevails. God wanted to give Jacob the blessing, but Jacob was determined to earn it. And God said it doesn't work that way. And so God put him out of commission, so he had to stop wrestling and listen so that God could convey to Jacob the idea, I'm trying to give you this blessing, and you cannot earn it. You cannot wrestle this out of me. That's one element of blessed concept of being blessed. But blessings go in both directions, as I said earlier. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 14. Just a couple of verses here. <clears throat> the context here is uh, David's son um, Absalom. His firstborn son has murdered his half-brother Amnon. You know the story about Amnon and Tamar. And uh, Absalom murdered Amnon and then fled from the city. And David is very upset about the whole thing. And Joab has come to David to plead the case of Absalom and to ask David, please let Absalom come back home. We'll begin in verse uh, 21. And the king said to Joab, all right, I have granted this thing. Go, therefore, and bring back the young man Absalom. And here's where the concept of blessed is acted out. Then Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. That word translated here in the New King James translated thanked. That word is barak. He bowed down and blessed, thanked, barak the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord king, in that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. 
So here we see the full sense of that concept of blessed in the Old Testament, that Hebrew word barak. We see the subject here bowing before the king, and the king figuratively laying his hand of blessing upon him, figuratively because David didn't actually lay his hand on Joab, but David did bless Joab by saying, okay, I grant this request to you, go and do what you're asking for. And then Barak returns the blessing back to his king. How can a subject bless his king? We see it here. He thanked his king and he sang the king's praises. You are truly a great king, O King David. This is the concept of how we bless God. What could we possibly bring to God that God needs from us? Nothing except for our thanksgiving and our praise. So we bless God when we express our gratitude when we sing his praises as we did breaking a bread and just now singing the praises of God, we are blessing God. It's interesting to note that our blessing God has nothing to do with our happiness, does it? We sing God's praises even when we're hurting. Consider the person of Job who sang, uh, sang the praises of God. He said, naked came I from my mother's womb. Naked I will return. Blessed be the name of God. And after all that he was going through and still in the midst of it, he still is blessing God. It is not a condition of happiness. It is sometimes a condition of willpower. It's a condition of making a decision that I will bless God. Or as we're going to see, I will trust God. And I'm going to give away a big punchline right now and say, when we get back to the Beatitudes, that's what I take away from the Beatitudes as a whole, is to develop the notion that I can trust God. That's what we see with Jacob. I'm getting way ahead of myself. I should stick to the notes. But that's what we see with Jacob. That's what he had to learn. So again, what is the blessing that we see in the Beatitudes? The blessing is to become more like Jesus Christ. Jacob could not be blessed by God until he was changed. As long as he remained a usurper, God could not bless him. Because Jacob could not receive the blessing. God was busy at work transforming Jacob from, from usurper into Israel. To become the great nation of Israel. And the fact is that God is busy at work transforming us as well. Or beginning the process of transformation. Transforming us ultimately into the image of Jesus Christ. So the Beatitudes are sort of like a concentrated lesson in what it look, means to look like Jesus Christ and also to teach us what is our part in that process of transformation. Now, this is where we get into a little bit of a tricky theological quagmire, and we need to be careful how we word things because I want to make it abundantly clear that we do not participate in our transformation. I just said, what is our part? Now I'm saying we don't participate. I'll explain this a little better later. But God is the one who makes the transformation in God alone. We did not participate in our redemption. We had no share in being born again whatsoever. Only the high priest did that. That is the work of Jesus Christ and of Jesus alone. But I'm suggesting that the Beatitudes show us how to cooperate with God in the work of beginning the transformation, 
how to stop wrestling like Jacob and start cooperating. Now, as we went back through the Beatitudes at Wellspring, I kept pointing out each time I preached that each of the Beatitudes is like a coin. It has two sides, flip sides of the coin. Turn back to Matthew 5, by the way. I already did that, should have said so. Notice verse 3, it says, The blessing for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 5, they shall inherit the earth. One side of this coin pertains only to eternity. Uh, They shall inherit the earth. Will we as believers inherit this planet? No, we will not. This planet has been marked for for demolition. It's like the trees in the woods that have spray painted on them. They're going to get cut down. This planet is marked for demolition. This planet is not our inheritance. So what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the new heaven and the new earth. That is our inheritance. We cannot participate in that now. And so one side of the coin of the Beatitudes applies only to eternity. And when I, each Beatitude has a condition. Blessed are the fill in the blank and a reward. Okay, The condition is blessed are the poor in spirit. The reward, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Ultimately, this transformation of being poor in spirit, of being meek, of mourning, uh, thirsting and hungering after righteousness and so forth, these things will not be completely fulfilled until eternity. Because we're still sinners here on earth, we still fall very short of the image of Christ. But when we are whisked into eternity, I don't know how God's going to do it, but there's going to be a miraculous transformation, and every single one of us will be without sin. There will be no more tears and so on and so forth. So these Beatitudes are presenting what we will look like. And I will be meek. I can't imagine that. Imagine one of the Cliffords being meek. They will be meek too. Amen. Amen. And Lord haste the day. That transformation cannot take place here on earth because as long as we inhabit these bodies, we will be sinners. We will be sinful. There I am with that theological quagmire. We have been redeemed out of being sinners, and in the eyes of God, we no longer are sinners, but we still sin. You get what I'm saying. One side of the coin of the Beatitudes is all about eternity. Flip it over, and it's all about now. Now, I don't have time to go into how we inherit the earth here on earth and so forth in our lives here and now. There is an application there. I'm not going to take the time to get into that. But there is an element of blessed are the meek that takes place here and now. Because, see, Jesus was not teaching these things in order to give his disciples a glimpse of what it means to become like Christ. He was not teaching them this stuff so that he would, they would know what's coming in eternity. Jesus is being very pragmatic here. And he's teaching them these things so that they will start trying to become meek, peacemakers, to hunger and thirst after righteousness, and so forth. Whoa, is that clock right? Oh, good. This is the side of the coin that has to do with our lives here and now. And this comes back to what I said a few minutes ago about our participating in the process of beginning to be transformed. So you do understand, I hope, the dichotomy I'm trying 
to make here, this fine line I'm trying to walk. We bear no share whatsoever in our transformation, and yet we also still need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in cultivating these conditions. What I would suggest is that the Beatitudes are qualities that Jesus wants us to begin to cultivate in our own lives. Spring is almost here, allegedly, driving up this morning. I was pretty convinced that that's a big lie. (laughs) But the calendar says that spring is almost here, and many of you probably will begin to plant your garden soon. A garden is a great analogy to what we're trying to discuss here because a gardener does not produce vegetables. The gardener plants the seed and God does all the rest of it. But the gardener is still involved in it. I will not be growing anything in my backyard except grass because I don't plant a garden. The gardener does participate in the process of growing plants and works together with God. What's the gardener's job? To plant the seed, to water it, and to weed. It's a pretty simple process. Completely lost my place in my notes, so I'm just winging it from now on. (laughs) This is the part that we play in cultivating these qualities that Jesus is discussing here in the Beatitudes. We plant the seed. I'm planting the seed this morning in you by suggesting study the Beatitudes. There's a lot in them. It's incredible stuff. And, by the way, it's incredibly humbling as you go through this. And it's funny, I I had to speak on Blessed are the Meek, and the minute I started looking into what does meek mean, I'm going to, (laughs) uh-oh, that ain't me. Planting the seed is beginning to say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to become? Watering it is to study. Study, what does meekness mean? Dig into this. It's really easy to read through fast like I just did and to not stop and say, blessed are the pure in heart. What does that mean? What is pure in heart? What does it look like? How do I know if I'm doing it right? That's watering. And of course, weeding is to remove things from your life that are hindering that process in some way. That is how we participate in the process of the Beatitudes. Oh, goodness. Okay. Completely lost my train of thought in the notes. Well, let's just move on from there into the next thing that I want to bring out, which is what happens when we forget our part in this process and begin to do it wrong. What happens when we forget that our name has been made Israel and we find ourselves wrestling again with God? We fight back against God. Like I said, we've been going through the Beatitudes for more than two months now. And I have been called upon to preach sermons on things where I fall terribly short. But the cool thing is God has given me a whole lot of opportunities to try and do it right. And I still didn't do it very well. I had a confrontation with somebody at work just this past week. And I kept thinking after the fact, that was where you're supposed to be meek, Benoit. I did a little bit better, you know, just a tiny bit better than I would normally have done, but I still found myself retaliating and giving it back in kind. 
I'm not good at some of these things. So that brings up the question of what happens when you find yourself in that condition. Paul writes to the Philippians, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's in Philippians chapter 1. See, it's that two sides of the coin thing. Yes, we do participate in the process. We water, we plant, we weed. But we are not the ones who are growing the fruit. That's the good news in all of this. As you go back through these Beatitudes, you will be humbled. You might be discouraged. I kind of got depressed when I read through them all and said, wow, that ain't me. None of them. But the Lord has been reminding me frequently, Benoit, you are not the one who brings forth the fruit. I do that and you bear no share in that part. Your job is to be the gardener and tend the garden and try to weed a little better. And I'm going to help you understand that. I'm going to give you opportunities like this confrontation with somebody who hates my guts. What a great thing to have opportunities like that, isn't it? That's where I needed to go. I just came back. Thank you, Lord. The main concept here in the Beatitudes, as we've gone through all of them, it really struck me. Each time I would try to summarize, it came down to the same thing. The same basic lesson is this. We need to remind ourselves and we need to remind one another that God is in control. That's the lesson that Jacob was being taught. Jacob thought he could subdue God. And God said, I change your name to God prevails because you can't. I am in control, not you, Jacob. And it's going to take you the rest of your life before you learn that lesson. But each one of these Beatitudes boils down to that core concept. To remind ourselves and remind one another that God is in control and that he is faithful. Two-part lesson there. God is always faithful. And so when circumstances go haywire, when you find yourself being persecuted and people saying all kinds of evil against you, remind yourself, relax, God is in control of this. Furthermore, when that happens... Remember that this is proof that God is transforming you. It hurts. This is why I started out by saying this isn't about happiness. This is about the concept of being blessed. And the blessing is to become like Jesus Christ. And that happens through a process of transformation. And transformation hurts frequently. But the core lesson is to remember, to remind yourself that God is in control in all circumstances And God is always faithful. That's our first response as we read through when we encounter suffering is to remind ourselves that God is faithful. The second response is in verse 12. Matthew 5, verse 12. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Our word, our English word rejoice, the root word of that is joy. The prefix re does not mean again. It's an intensifier. It means extremely joyful. Joy is a vivid pleasure arising from a sense of well-being, according to the Oxford English Dictionary. So the question is, why rejoice? What's the context here? Blessed are you when you are reviled and persecuted and they're speaking evil of you. Rejoice in that. When is the last time that you jumped up and down this uh, concept of be exceedingly glad? It's one word in the Greek and it means to jump for joy. 
When's the last time you jumped for joy when somebody was speaking evil of you? I have never done that. But Jesus says rejoice. Why? Not because we are suffering, but because God is transforming us. And this is the proof of it. If we are suffering for the name of Jesus, it's part of God's transformational work that he is beginning here and now. We are no longer usurpers. We don't struggle to win God's favor. We have learned because God has taught us by the life of his own son. We have learned that we cannot buy God's favor. That nothing we can do will earn God's love and forgiveness. It was given to us freely. And so we are being transformed into those who understand that God will always prevail. We are becoming miniature carbon copies of Jesus Christ himself. And one day, in a twinkling of an eye, that transformation will become complete. And we'll be just like Jesus. What is the takeaway this morning? Two things. Remind one another and remind yourselves that God is in control and God is faithful. And rejoice. Rejoice in the coming transformation that God is going to work. I forgot to bring a black book, but I was wondering if we could sing verse 1. Thank you. Of number 195. And is it so... I shall be like thy son. Is this the grace which he for me has won? Father of glory, thought beyond all thought, in glory to his own blessed likeness wrought. First one of 195. Is it so? I shall be like thy son. Is this the grace which he for me has won? Father of glory, thought beyond all thought. In glory to his own blessing. Oh, Lord, we praise you. We thank you. Thank you that you are the one who brings forth the fruit. Thank you that you are the one who will be ultimately making our transformation. I pray again that this week you would remind me before I retaliate, Remind me that you are in control and that that's what it means to become more like Jesus Christ. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.